Tonight we're continuing our series on worship. And what are we calling this series? Great. Y'all can see and read. That's great. Altars and idols. Yes, the big clue behind us. And uh, during the series, we're going through the entire Bible looking at Scripture to see what it says about worship. And so we started in Genesis with the very beginning, looking at how Adam and Eve worshipped, and we're working our way through, and we'll finish in Revelation. And so tonight, we're going to be looking at Solomon and him dedicating the temple and him calling together an assembly together. And so tonight, what we're going to be looking at is public worship and how we are to worship in the public. Now, I will say, as I'm going to be talking tonight and the points I'm sharing tonight, I, I understand that I'm preaching to the choir tonight talking about the importance of gathering as an assembly to worship because I know y'all are the faithful ones who are here on a Sunday evening, especially during football season. You know, y'all are, y'all are out here. And, uh, but I, I still think that there's going to be um, some good application points for all of us here tonight. Now, last week, if y'all can remember, we looked at the account of the ark and how it was not transported properly and how Uzzah reached out and touched the ark and he was actually struck dead in that moment. And we, we looked at the importance of worshiping God in the right way and that God cares about how we worship. And He's laid out for us in Scripture how we are to worship. And so we're going to be looking at a little bit of that tonight. And so tonight we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 8. It's where we're going to start. So you can go ahead and open there. And like I said, we are looking at this uh, example here where the ark is being brought into the temple. The temple has been completed. It's, it's finished being built. And now Solomon calls together an assembly. And we're going to look at some points from this passage tonight. So 1 Kings chapter 8, starting in verse 1. I'm going to read the first 14 verses. And it says, Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes the leaders of the fathers' houses of the people of Israel before King Solomon in Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is Zion. And all the men of Israel assembled to King Solomon at the feast in the month of Ethanim, which is the seventh month. And all the elders of Israel came, and the priests took up the ark. And they brought up the ark of the Lord, the tent of meeting, and all the holy vessels that were in the tent. The priests and the Levites brought them up. And King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who had assembled before him were with him before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and oxen that they could not be counted or numbered. Then the priests brought the ark of the covenant of the Lord to its place in the inner sanctuary of the house in the most holy place underneath the wings of the cherubim. 
For the cherubim spread out their wings over the place of the ark so that the cherubim overshadowed the ark and its poles. And the poles were so long that the ends of the poles were seen from the holy place before the inner sanctuary, but they could not be seen from the outside, and they are there to this day. There was nothing in the ark except the two tablets of stone that Moses put there at Horeb, where the Lord made a covenant with the people of Israel when they came out of the land of Egypt. And when the priests came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Then Solomon said, The Lord has said that He would dwell in thick darkness. I have indeed built you an exalted house, a place for you to dwell in forever. Then the king turned around and blessed all the assembly of Israel while all the assembly of Israel stood. Let's pray tonight. Father, we thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the opportunity to share your word, to proclaim the truth of your word. Lord, I just pray that for everyone that's here tonight, that you would open their hearts. Lord, open all of our hearts to receive from your word that we would walk out of here tonight transformed by the power of your word. We thank you for it. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity just to gather together to read the Holy Scriptures. Lord, and, and all the sacrifices that were made, the, the people who literally gave their lives so that we could have Scripture in the English language. Lord, it's, it's such a joy and we can take it so lightly. But Lord, that as we open the Bible tonight, that we would cherish it and understand that what we are reading is the literal Word of God. And we thank you for it. We thank you for your Word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so quickly I'm going to recap what led up to this point. So David had it on his heart to build a temple for God. King David had it on his heart. Now, up until this point, before the temple was built, the Moses and the people of Israel, they were transporting the ark. If you can, uh, they were transporting the ark in the tabernacle. If you can remember uh, when Matt, Pastor Matt talked about the tabernacle a few weeks ago, the tabernacle was where the ark of the covenant dwelt, and the ark of the covenant represented the presence of God. And so... God gave Moses the instruction to build the tabernacle to represent his dwelling place as they were traveling about um, during those 40 years before they entered the promised land. Now, as they were traveling from place to place, every time they went to a different place, they had to pack up the tabernacle, carry it in a proper way, and then when they got to the place where God told them, they had to set it out build it all together again, put it in the right place, and put the ark there. And so now that Israel is in the promised land, many years have passed, they're, they're safely in their land, they're starting to flourish as a nation under the kingship of David, and David wants to build a permanent structure for the presence of God. He wants to build a permanent house where the ark can dwell. And so David makes it known to God, and God tells David that you will not be able to build the temple, that I'm going to have your son who comes after you build the temple. And this son was Solomon. 
Now Solomon was the son of David and Bathsheba. That's right. Now that in itself is a great story of how God can redeem sinners and bring forth fruit even from a broken situation. And if you were here with us this morning, we saw how there is a fruit that comes with repentance. Right? We looked at that account in um, 2 Samuel where Nathan came and exposed David and confronted him with his sin and David repented before the Lord. And then we saw in Psalm 51 how David had a broken and contrite heart. And so in that we see the fruit that Solomon was birthed out of that and now God is blessing Solomon by allowing him to build the temple. Solomon was the one chosen to build the temple. Now this temple was a huge undertaking. The, the building of the temple was not some small feat. It was a massive undertaking. It, it took seven years to build. Seven years. If you can imagine that. Some of you in here aren't even seven years old. Now, I, I know that we think that all of our highways that are being constructed seems to take more than seven years to build, but, but imagine, you know, driving past something and for seven years it's still under construction. This was a huge undertaking. Now, earlier this year, I came across some VHS tapes that my grandfather had recorded. Um, my grandpa, Bell, he loved to document things with his camcorder. Now, I realize there's some younger people in here that have no idea what a camcorder is. Uh, instead of using our phones back in the day to take video, we used something called a camcorder. And it was really like holding a, a VCR on your shoulder. Now, some of you don't even know what a VCR is. Um, anyways, it was a big machine that looked ridiculous, and you, it had this big viewfinder. Anyways, my grandpa loved to document and take video. And so I found a video that he took of the building, the constructing of this building that we're in tonight. And he took little snippets at least once a week over the entire course of it being built from start to finish. And it was all on one tape. And it's, it's really amazing. It's a, it's a great video. But anyway, so this week, knowing that I was going to be talking about this and studying how the temple took seven years to build, I, I wanted to go back and see if the video was time-stamped so I could see how long that took to be, this building took to be built. So it started, they started breaking ground in September of 1991. And it was, the very first service was held July 11th of 1993. So this building took less than two years to be built, which, you know, I think that's quite an accomplishment. Um, and that also shows we're, we're coming up on 30 years in this building, so maybe we should have some kind of anniversary next July. Um, someone could set a reminder, and you can remind me. Maybe we'll, we'll throw a party. But so now the, the temple is finished and Solomon calls together the nation of Israel to assemble for a dedication for this, this ceremony of the temple. They want, he wants to dedicate the temple to God. 
Now, with all of the Old Testament, I believe that everything that we see in the Old Testament, it, it, it points us to realities that we now have in the New Covenant. The Old Testament took place in the Old Covenant, and I, I believe that it was written to teach us about and point us towards realities that we now experience in the New Covenant. For example, animal sacrifices being necessary to atone for sin. If you read the Old Testament, there's a lot of animal sacrifices. We're going to see that in our passage tonight. There's a lot of bloodshed. There's a lot of killing. And what this is pointing towards is the once and for all sacrifice that Christ paid for us on the cross. Jesus being the, the spotless lamb, the, the one who lived without sin, his life was the only life that could atone for the sins of the world. And so that's an example of an old covenant pointing us towards a reality in the new covenant. And another example of this was the, the day of atonement, that once a year the, the priest would go and sacrifice a goat that represented the sins of the whole nation. And then he would release another goat out into the wilderness, showing that their sins were forgiven. But this had to happen once a year. It wasn't a once and for all sacrifice. And so now that we understand that Christ died and his death was once and for all, and when he said, it is finished... There's no longer any more days of atonement that need to happen because there was that one final day of atonement. And so these things happened. They took part in the Old Covenant. It was designed to teach us about what we now experience in the New Covenant. So there's two passages that I want to show you that, that highlight this idea so you know that I'm not just making this, this up, what I'm trying to tell you. Let's go to Scripture. Scripture usually speaks better than I do anyways. So Colossians 2, 17, if we could turn there quickly. And then we'll also be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. But Colossians 2, I'll start with verse 16. He says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So the things that took place in the Old Covenant were a shadow of the things to come. Now let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And I'm going to read verses 6 through 11. And it says, Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Real quick, just we're here where Paul says we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did, and then he refers back to the Old Testament showing that Christ has existed for all time, that Christ 
was there even in the Old Testament as they were putting God to the test. They were putting Christ to the test. Verse 12, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No, uh, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Now going back to verse 11, it says, Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the day of the ages has come. So the Old Testament was written for our benefit. Some people think that we can skip the Old Testament and just go straight to the New Testament and we'll be just as fine in our walk with the Lord, that we don't need to read the Old Testament, that it's antiquated, it's a different God, God acted different then, that we just need to read the New Testament. But that couldn't be further from the truth. In fact, to get the full picture of who Christ is, you, you have to have knowledge and be in the Old Testament. So that's just a plug for King's Bible Institute. If you would like to come to KBI and jump into the Old Testament with us and the New Testament, come join us on Tuesday nights. So we can learn truths from the Old Testament that were a shadow of realities for us today. Now I'm saying all of this because I believe what we see in 1 Kings 8 and what took place at the dedication has truths that we can learn from for us today. And so with that being said, tonight I've got three things that I'd like to highlight from this text in 1 Kings chapter 8. Three principles that I believe apply to us as we look at this topic of public worship or coming together to worship as an assembly. So the first thing I'd like to highlight for us, the first thing I'd like to see is that God's people are called to assemble for worship. God's people are called to assemble for worship. So jumping back to 1 Kings 8, in verse 5, it says, And King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who had assembled before him were with him before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and oxen that they could not be counted or numbered. So not only did they assemble for worship, but part of their worship at the time was to offer up sacrifices. So now here Solomon and all the assembly of Israel, what they're doing here is setting the Guinness Book of World Records for the world's largest barbecue that ever took place. At least until the men's camp out this coming weekend. Amen. Amen. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll do our best, but... I don't know if we'll offer up, as, if we'll have as many uh, burgers that cannot be numbered. We'll see. Um, but anyways, there, there, was, there was so many that sacrifices. It says they couldn't even be numbered. Now, in the temple, this temple that Solomon had built, they built a 30-foot by 30-foot grill, really, to offer up sacrifices. And that's, that's a pretty good-sized grill. And this, this wasn't even big enough for all of the sacrifices, so Solomon had to consecrate the, the foyer area where, where people could assemble. He had to consecrate the floor and, and build a huge fire there on the floor just for all of these sacrifices. But here we see God's people were called to assemble for worship. 
Now, over the last few weeks, and, and really in this series so far, we've been looking at the spiritual aspect of worship. We've been looking at the heart of worship, and, and we've been looking at how all of our lives is worship. And we take this idea from Romans 12.1, where Paul tells us to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our spiritual worship. And so, yes, our worship is spiritual. It has to do with our lives being lived in a way that is holy and set apart from the world. But also, as part of our worship, we're called to assemble as God's people. That, that's part of our worship, gathering together as the people of God, together in one location to worship God. Now, quickly, uh, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 10. If you want to leave your place in 1 Kings, we'll be back there in a little bit. Hebrews chapter 10, this has become a very important verse for us here at Destiny Church. We're going to look at verses 24 and 25. Okay, Hebrews 10. 24 and 25, and it says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, I think this is something all of us as believers desire to do, right? To stir up one another to love and good works. I don't think there's any of us in here tonight that would say, I don't want to love the church more. I don't want to love one another in here more. I don't want to exemplify any good works in our lives. No, all of us in here have that desire to grow in our love and in our works. And so as we gather together, we, we encourage one another in the love of Christ. You know, we're, we're saints that are here tonight. All of us are unified under the banner of Christ. We've all been set free from the bondage of sin by the blood of Jesus, and this unites us. And so as we come together, there's a, a genuine love that we have for one another in Christ. And so as we gather together, we encourage one another in the love of Christ. As we do that, we build each other up and as we're built up, we see the fruit of that in our lives, which is produced in good works. So one way to stir one another up is by not neglecting to meet together. I love the way the King James Version says it in verse 25. It says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. The, the church is a gathering. We, we looked at this. I think it was last year with the church series where Matt used that word for the gathering and for the church. Do you all remember what that word was? Ecclesia. That's right. It means a gathering. We're called to assemble. And it's in this assembly that we can stir up one another in love and good works. So let's not be one of the some that's mentioned here in verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. You know, with the technology world that we live in today, it's, it's really easy to get uh, 
fed online by really good sermons. And I, I'm thankful for those. I'm thankful that, you know, really we have enough good biblical teaching on YouTube that's free for us for the rest of your life. If you listen nonstop, you could find good, solid teaching. But that isn't the gathering. And many people have abandoned gathering in the local church because they found a pastor online somewhere that they enjoy their preaching. And so they think that's all that they need to get their, their fix for the week. But that's not what Scripture shows us. Or also with worshiping, coming to worship together. Yes, there's many good worship videos that we can watch online, but it's not meant to replace the assembly of the saints gathering together in worship. Now again, I know I'm preaching to the choir, those of you who are here tonight. But as you are encouraged by this word, we can go out and encourage those who aren't here tonight. And uh, maybe they'll be here next week. Amen. Um, so, I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you. This, this passage is something that, you know, over the last couple of years, I've recently been convicted of and just been solidified to lean into this passage all the more. And the same with all of the pastoral staff and elders here at, at Destiny. And really, we've, we've decided that no matter what happens in the future, no matter what we're told to do by anyone else other than the Word of God in the future, we're going to keep the doors open here at Destiny Church. Um, because we believe what the Bible says, that we're not to neglect meeting together, coming together. Um, but me personally, I haven't always felt this way. You know, I'll be honest, during COVID... When we had, you know, the ridiculousness of COVID and we were forced for a season to put our services online and we weren't having service here because we were told that, you know, if we shook hands with someone, the whole world was going to die. And so we thought, well, let's be smart for a season. Anyways, um, there, there was a time in that season, there was a couple of weeks where we were just pre-recording all of our services. Um, we were pre-recording worship, so throughout the week, before Sunday, we were recording worship, we were recording Pastor Matt preach, and we would upload the videos, and then Sunday morning, no one was meeting here, and I was at home in my PJs watching church, and we had services, we were, we were streaming it at 9 and 11, so I, I gathered my family together at 9 o'clock, we watched service, it was like an hour long, and at 10 o'clock, we were done with church. And I'll be honest, there was a couple of weeks where I was like, this is pretty cool. It's like I've got a second Saturday. I can kind of see why people stay home from church and have a second Saturday. Um, it's, it's so, it, it was so easy to get in that routine of, you know, not having to get the kids ready for church, and thankfully there's no traffic on Sundays, but not having to drive and spend gas. And so I, I think what we've seen, sadly, is a lot of people fell into that trap during COVID, and they got comfortable watching church in their pajamas, but then 
you know, after a while that gets kind of old, and so they stop watching church at all, and then now, and it's been shown with studies that a lot of people just have not come back to church and have abandoned the church completely since COVID. Um, Thankfully, that hasn't happened with us, and I'm thankful that our church is just as strong as ever because we believe the Bible here at Destiny, and we believe in gathering together. But we, we, take this, we take this passage seriously, and so God has called us to assemble together. So that's the first point. Second is that God's presence is manifested in a unique way when we assemble. So in the assembly, God's presence is manifested in a unique way. And so let's go back to 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 10 through 11. It says this, And when the priests came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Picture this. All of Israel is assembled and and the priests are are running out of the temple because this glory cloud has just consumed them and they can't even stand in the presence of God because the the glory was just so overwhelming. And in this this moment, the priests, they got a realization of the glory of the Lord, of His holiness, of His otherness, His separateness. They realized that this God is unlike anything else in all of creation. This reminds me of Moses' face that as he was in the presence of God began to, to shine like the sun. That he came down from the mountain. He didn't even realize that his face was radiating and the, the people couldn't even look at his face because it was shining so bright because he was in the presence of God. He ended up having to wear a, a veil in front of the people and he would take it off when he went to see God and he would get that holy sunburn again and then come back down and he'd have to put the veil on again. And then also we saw this in the transfiguration in Matthew 17 where it says Jesus' face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as the light. The presence of God is a powerful thing. And it manifests itself in a unique way when we all gather together in the name of God. Of Christ. Now, if you'll turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, I told you we'd look at a lot of scripture tonight. Uh, Paul gives us a, a really good example of what happens when we gather together as saints. Starting in verse 18, Ephesians 2 18, it says, For through him we both, so this we, is, is plural. Paul's talking about himself and the church in Ephesus. So the church, we, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. This you here is plural. He's not talking to one person. He's talking to all of the saints. You are fellow citizens and with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, 
in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you, the church, all of us, also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We are, when we gather together, we are assembled, we are a dwelling place for the presence of God by the Holy Spirit. God's presence is here tonight. Now I know you can't see it. Uh, We don't have the glory cloud that happened in the temple and Unlike other churches, we don't put artificial smoke on the stage, okay, to give you the illusion of the presence of God, or as one church has done, dropped gold dust from the ceiling to give you the illusion of the presence of God. No, we don't need an illusion because we have the truth. We have scripture that tells us when we gather together, we are a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now, Paul here, he he could have said in verse 22, in him you also are being built into a dwelling place. But he includes this word together. We are being built together. Now, I don't know about you, but I think it's hard to be built together for God to dwell if we're not together. Right? That makes sense. We're called to assemble, and when we do, something special happens. The presence of God is here to dwell within us. The Spirit of the Lord moves as we come together, and we are being built on the foundation of Christ. It says that Christ is the cornerstone. Christ is the solid rock of the church. He's the head. He's the foundation. And Christ is what allows the church to continue to stand, but as we gather together, we're being built on top of His foundation. This is a a powerful text. You know, I think just this text alone should really challenge how our attitude is when we gather together on Sundays, when we gather together and we assemble together, you know, that we understand what is really happening here. The, the Spirit of God is moving here. God's presence is here dwelling within us. You know, our, our expectation of what God can do and our anticipation should build as this, the truth of this passage becomes a reality for us. You know, if, if I would have posted this afternoon on Facebook, if I would have got on Facebook this afternoon and said, hey everybody, Tim Duncan is going to be at church tonight. At 6 o'clock, if you come, you can meet and greet him. He, and I had Tim Duncan send me a video, and I post that of him saying how excited he is to be at Destiny Church. If I said that, you know what would happen? People would get here on time. They would probably get here early. They would probably think about what they were going to wear, how they were going to look. They'd go digging in their closet to see if they could find their old Tim Duncan jersey to bring to have him sign. Now, if you don't know who Tim Duncan is, um, I guess welcome to San Antonio. You must be from California, newly moved over here. Um, Or insert, you know, your favorite celebrity or someone. But if you were told that, you know, picture someone that you would love to meet, your favorite historical figure... 
you would probably, it would change your anticipation for what the gathering would look like. Now, the truth is, who we are here meeting with tonight is quite a bit higher on the totem pole than Tim Duncan or any other human being on the face of the planet. But yet we can become so casual with our approach to gathering together on the Lord's Day. You know, I'm, I'm guilty of doing this, okay? So I'll, I can say an example like this. Um, where you know church is going to start in 10 minutes, but you really need that coffee from Starbucks, right? So you pull up and you see the long line. The line is long, but you say, it's okay, I'll only miss, I'll only miss the first song of worship. You know, it's, it's no big deal. I'll still be there for the message. Um, or maybe, you know, the worship team, they're singing through the, the chorus for the fifth time, right? And you're like, well, I've already sung it four times, so now would be a good time I can check my Facebook feed to see who ate what for breakfast, you know, like we can become so casual. And I think it's because we, we've lost sight of what we are really doing when we gather together and not just what, what we're doing, but what God is doing among us as we gather together. And so may God give us a, a hunger and an awe and an expectation to be in his presence with his people. May he forgive us for our casual approach to the public assembly. Okay, let's move on before the tomatoes start flying at me. So the first point, God's people are called to assemble for worship. Second, God's presence is manifested in a unique way in the assembly. And third, this last point, there is a blessing for those in the assembly. There's a blessing for us as we gather here tonight. Going back to 1 Kings in verse 14 of chapter 8. It says, Then the king, then Solomon, turned around and blessed all the assembly of Israel while all the assembly of Israel stood. Solomon blessed everyone who was there. Now, you know... Who didn't receive the blessing that day? The ones who weren't there? The ones who didn't gather? The ones who saw Solomon's invitation, but decided, you know what, there's going to be a lot of traffic there. There's going to be a ton. All of Israel's going to be going. I don't want to mess with that. Or, you know, there's going to be so many people there. No one's even going to notice if I'm not there. Or, you know, Uncle Jedediah is going to the dedication so he can fill me in later on what happens. Those that didn't show up, they missed out on this blessing. They missed out on the presence of God. They missed out on His presence being manifested in this amazing way. They missed out on the world's largest barbecue. But even with all of that, they also missed out on this blessing that Solomon Gave And really, this blessing came by way of a short sermon. Really, as Solomon retold how the temple came to be and how God was faithful to see through the building of the temple. Solomon encouraged everyone that was there by retelling God's faithfulness, by pointing out God's promise that he was going to see this temple being built, and then he's standing there with the temple behind him saying, look, God promised this, and here we are. 
He encouraged them with the promises of God. In, in, chapter, in verse 20, it says, Now the Lord has fulfilled His promise that He made, for I have risen in the place of David my father and sit on the throne of Israel as the Lord promised. And I have built the house for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. There is a blessing that comes when you, you sit under the preaching and teaching of the Word of God and you are told and reminded and encouraged of God's promises and Him being faithful to keep those promises. So there's a couple of passages quickly before we close tonight that I want to look at in the book of Psalms that has to do with this idea of there being a blessing for us in the assembly. And so the first one is in Psalm 73. Now Psalm 73, the, the psalmist, he's struggling with the fact that the wicked seem to be prospering more than he is. He, he's trying to live righteously, but yet he's suffering and he's looking at the wicked and they appear to be prospering. And so he has this dilemma. He's trying to figure out what's going on. And so 73 verse in Psalms it says for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked for they have no pangs until death their bodies are fat and sleek they are not in trouble as others are they are not stricken like the rest of mankind therefore pride is their necklace violence covers them as a garment their eyes swell out through fatness their hearts overflow with follies they scoff and speak with malice Loftily, they threaten oppression. So Asaph, the psalmist here, he's looking at the wicked and, and it's looking like they're having quite a blessed life. They're prosperous. They're fat from all their riches. And has, can anyone be honest and say maybe they've had these thoughts before as they've, you know, maybe you know you're trying to live your life according to the Word of God, but yet it can seem you seem to be suffering, and then you look at these celebrities who are doing anything but being obedient to Scripture, but yet they're living these lavish lifestyles. No, it's just me that I've had a thought similar to this before. Okay, well, I guess this psalm was written for me. But so, so he's going through this, and then in, in verse 13 he says, "...all in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence." For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. If I had said I would speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. So he's becoming worn out just trying to figure out why this was happening. And then verse 17 it says, Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. So Asaph spends time in the presence of God. He's, he's got a heavy heart. He's weary from this. He goes and he worships the Lord. And God blesses him with this revelation. God mends his heart. God gives him peace. Verse 18, it says, Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. So God gives him peace as he worships. He, he lets him know that, you know what, judgment is going to come for the wicked. 
It may appear in this season that things are going right, but I am a just God and I'm going to see to it that the wicked will be punished. And then Asaph says in verse 23, Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand, you guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you, and there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You see, at first Asaph was looking out and he was looking at the the physical. He was looking at the worldly possessions and he was hungry for that. Saying, God, why, why do the wicked have that and I don't? But then once he spends time in the sanctuary, once he spends time in the presence of the Lord, now he says, there's nothing on earth that I desire but you. I don't care if I have any of this. I don't care if my eyes are fat with riches. I just desire to be in the presence of God. He, he realized that there was a blessing there. Now, maybe you've experienced that in your life. You've come to church with a heavy heart. You've come to church burdened with something, overwhelmed. And as you've spent time in His presence, as you've worshipped God, as you've sat through the teaching of the Word of God, you've seen those burdens lifted. Has has anyone else experienced that before? Because there is a blessing that comes with being part of the assembly. Now, quickly, we'll look at... One more psalm, Psalm 92, if we could turn there quickly. This is, a, this is a unique psalm. There's no other psalm like it out of the 150. This psalm is dedicated to the Sabbath day. It's a song for the Sabbath. And so just a little anecdote here on, on your Sunday mornings as you're getting ready for church. This would be a great psalm to gather your family together and read to lift yourself up and get yourself in the right mindset to come to the house of the Lord. But anyways, in this psalm, in verses 12 through 14, 12 through 15, we see it say this. It says, The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. Now, I don't know about you, but I would like to flourish like a palm tree. Uh, I used to have crazy hair and people used to call me a palm tree because, you know, I was this tall twig with big poofy hair. That's not what this is talking about. Um, but a palm tree, it, it represents long life. Palm trees were known for long life. And a palm tree also represented praise. You know, they, they used the palm branches to, to praise Jesus as he was entering in Jerusalem. And as palm branches, they're, they're branches sway back and forth. It represents how we can raise our hands and praise And then a cedar of Lebanon, cedar trees at the time, they grew to be 120 feet tall and 30 feet in circumference. So this is showing that as you are planted in the house of God, as you're faithful to the assembly, that you'll be solid, you'll be strong, you'll be immovable. 
Those planted in the house of the Lord will flourish. They will bear fruit in their old age. Now I know none of us in here have hit that old age part of our lives yet. But when we do, I know that we would all desire to be fruitful still in our old age. Now this isn't just talking about having kids, right? It's not saying that you'll all become an Abraham and Sarah, but that your life will produce good fruit in your old age, that your ministry will produce good fruit, that your discipling of others will be fruitful, that as you serve, it will produce good fruit in the kingdom of God. And I'm so thankful that we've had so many faithful men and women here throughout the history of Destiny Church who have been planted in the house of the Lord, and we have seen them Flourish. We have seen them been, be fruitful even in their old age. Now, I hope this won't offend these people as they go back and listen to it, but there's two great examples of this here at Destiny Church, and one of them is Archie Alderson, you know, who's in his 90s and in three days is going to be boarding a plane to fly to Japan. He's not going to Japan for a vacation. He's going to Japan to be fruitful in ministry as he goes and encourages the churches there. And then another that is a faithful member of our church, although she she can't assemble with us in person anymore, she believe me, she would be here if she could physically be here, is Inus Beatles. You know, Pastor Terry said he, he recently went to, to visit her in her home, and she has a, a stacks, stacks of different tracks in her house to give out to people as they come and visit her so that, she can, so that they can go and hand the tracks out to other people. You know, she can't go and evangelize anymore, but that doesn't mean that she can't be a part of evangelism still taking place. So she is still being fruitful in her old age, and this is a result of her being planted in the house of the Lord her entire life, really. So my prayer is that this will be all of us, that as we are called to assemble for worship, we experience God manifesting his presence in a unique way as we assemble, that there will be a blessing for us. And so in closing tonight, I just want to stress that we, we need to be here. We need to be in the public assembly gathering together to worship our King. And I'm not just saying this. Uh, hopefully I was clear tonight to show you that that is what Scripture says as well. But I just pray that we would truly understand the importance of what is happening as we gather together for worship here on the Lord's Day every Sunday morning and Sunday night as we gather together. So, so pray tonight. Pray that, that God would give all of us a sense of reality of what is happening as we gather together. And that the casual approach that we may have had or may currently have, that God would break that. That he would raise our expectations as we come together on Sunday mornings and Sunday evenings and as we come together even in our community groups and even 
you know, any time when we're gathering together with the people of God that we come expecting for God to do something. You know, I've been challenged that even over this camp out that we have with the men, that God can do a, a mighty thing in our lives, even as we are fellowshipping together because we are gathering together as saints in the name of our King. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and stand as we dismiss in prayer tonight. How many of you are, are challenged by this word tonight? I, I know as I was getting ready this week, it was just, uh, I, I enjoy it when God's word challenges me because it, it shows that our hearts are able to be challenged. Those who can read scripture and it not do anything for them, uh, th those people really need to, to pray that God would work in their lives. So Let's pray that, that God would just solidify this, this conviction for us here tonight. Lord, we thank you again for your word. God, I thank you that your word is true. Lord, these aren't my ideas. These aren't even man's ideas. These, this is your truth. Lord, you desire for your people to gather together in person to worship you. Lord, there's no one else that comes close to you. No one can compare to you. So Lord, forgive us for the times when we've approached your presence casually, that we've treated the gathering together as just another thing. Lord, that we would have our eyes open to what is happening here. Lord, that your presence is here, the presence of the holy God, the presence of the creator of the universe, the one who formed and fashioned and knew us and chose us to be your children before the world was even formed. You are here in our midst tonight. Lord, I thank you for being here. I thank you for the death of your son on the cross and what he accomplished so that we can boldly come into your presence, that we can meet with you. Lord, I thank you that as we do, that there is a blessing. Lord, we don't come here to be blessed. We come here to bless you. We come here to worship you. But Lord, we do see in Scripture that a fruit of being in your presence is that we are blessed. So Lord, I pray if there's any in here tonight that came weary, that came broken, that came with a heavy heart, God, that you lift their burdens, that you encourage them that you let them know that you love them. And Lord, that they would know that we here who are with them tonight, we love them as well. And Lord, I just thank you for it. I thank you for working in all of our lives. Help us to go out of these doors tonight and, and be a blessing as we expand your kingdom, as we tell the world of your love and the truth of the gospel. May we do so boldly so that you will be glorified. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.